Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Girl Scout Cookies of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Comprehensive Crowd Killing Etiquette Lesson. What caliber are you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) I feel, you you know what, for a tough guy, hardcore kid, it would have to be 50 caliber because you know they all think Desert Eagles are the coolest guns in the world. (laughs) <laughs> like am i am i fucking wrong that would definitely be their first right <laughs> yeah i think yeah yeah well you know they would they would feel if they could tell the story afterward they would like telling how it took a 50 cal <laughs> especially and this guy was fucking dual wielding them man <laughs> yeah. oh man yeah you, it sounds like you've uh Sounds like the death metal guy has had some negative experiences at shows lately. <laughs> oh, God, dude. <laughs> we had a, an extensive conversation about uh, the fascinating mental gymnastics of uh, extremely pro-crowd-killing hardcore kids, and it was just magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's great if you, you crowd-kill, but like, it's, uh, it's bad if you, if, if you crowd-kill and the other guy kicks your ass. That's, I mean, if you, it, it really is kind of... Hey, the, man, that was a cheap shot. A, a real betrayal to hit back the guy that is hitting you. Yeah, what, what about unity, brother? What is this, the Canadian legal system? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Satyricon NFT sweepstakes. It's fucking Satyricon, man. Talk about a band that, like... Is bad. Is is remarkably bad, and even in their prime, were not very good, and appear to have just been grandfathered into the canon through sheer inertia. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. What's the, the what is the, is it Varg who said that? It's like Satyricon were the first posers. That sounds like something that Varg would say, and I I, I don't think I disagree with it. You know? Yeah, like I knew guys who had really good taste who swear by dark medieval times, and I've tried it multiple. It's times. It's not good. Like, it's terrible. It's a bad it's like, album. I should like it. It's kind of medieval. It has those kind of downtuned emperor guitars. They just have no ear for music on that record. Yeah, it's like you get down like to it. They're it's not like, riffs. Yeah, it's like you get. Nemesis Divina is like a Cradle of Filth record, but with plausible deniability for quote-unquote real black metal people. Yeah, Nemesis Divina is probably the best, but I don't like listen to it. I think I only know Mother North, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, Mother North is a a, 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 a B-plus Cradle of Filth song. Yeah, it's, um, is the Shadow Throne good? I don't fucking know, dude. I probably, probably listened not. to it when I was 15. I'm not going to go yeah. back now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, fuck that band. Um, but uh, what you should not fuck, that was, oof, that was, that was rough. Maybe you should fuck? You, you, should, fuck our, uh, uh, you should fuck us on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just, our, our, our intern, Hyper Shaman, will be happy to handle your every insatiable craving. <laughs> Just, just conducting a sort of, uh, you know, pseudo intellectual extreme metal brothel of the mind. Um, well, we should have an OnlyFans where you people just ask us questions about metal. Oh, ooh, yeah, that'd be solid. Or uh, we gotta do the the Instagram fucking uh, like anonymous asks thing. Oh my know. god. Jesus, <laughs> it would be the be the same question over and over again. Um, so uh, you can follow me. <laughs> <laughs> 
You can follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at at Terminus Podcast or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And feel free to post in the comments what you think that one question would be. Um, and then if you're especially invested and you want to ask all your deepest, darkest questions, uh, you can do that by signing up with our Patreon, where $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the uh, Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where uh, we are discussing international wrestling events and dating single moms. Uh, did you already did you already show for like basic like YouTube likes and shit, or should I do that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, if you guys like, are, yeah. Well, oh, I, I was mean, gonna do that part. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's I mean. It's, uh, it's called a know, call to action. It's very important. Yeah, it's a call to action. This is how you can take action to improve your local metal scene, a.k.a. you and your two friends who you've showed Terminus to. Um, <laughs> you could, uh, yeah, and if you haven't shown your, your friends Terminus, uh, what are you waiting for? Um, but no, uh, I, you know, especially if you don't have the money or time or give a fucks to uh, support us on Patreon or follow us on social media, you can always do the easy thing that is actually really helpful and like the videos on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube. Maybe even if you don't have, you don't use YouTube that much and you listen to us as a podcast. Um, but yeah, that, that shit really helps and it, it helps boost the signal. Uh, you know, remember we have to compete against, um, you know, we have to compete against the atmospheric black metal channel. <laughs> we gotta compete against them and Loudwire telling me why baby metal is relevant. Hey all, this is Brandon from Cromlight, and you're listening to Terminus. Alright, so uh, first up we got a mini review for you. Uh, for those who are curious, if you were not able to read the title, uh, if you rely on us to communicate everything verbally, uh, this is an all-Doom episode. And uh, the first thing we've got on the plate, uh, we're going to take a little peek at the debut record by a Chilean Doom Death band called Morniament. Uh, this is titled Smoldering Into Dust, and this is released on Ardua Music, which uh, I was looking into. I hadn't heard of the label, but it appears to be a Spanish label that uh, really just started this year and specializes in this sort of you know mournful romantic Doom Death stuff. Um, so, uh, Morniment just uh, struck me by the name, just because I was kind of amazed that nobody had thought of that before for a Doom band. It's, it's pretty mm -hmm. great. Um, and uh, I just wanted to take a peek, because we haven't been covering a ton of South American stuff this year, and that's something I like to touch on at least a few times a year, uh, just because there is so much interesting stuff that happens down in South America, but it has a lot of trouble uh, getting up into the States and into Europe. Uh, so Morniment is part of a surprisingly large sort of like continental scene of sort of mournful romantic doom death that um, just really is pretty substantial in Chile and Argentina and to a lesser extent like Brazil and Colombia and Ecuador. Um a lot of this kind of thing tends to operate like at almost funeral doom tempos, but seems to be most distinctly influenced by kind of traditional Peaceville stuff, but definitely sort of the most gothic and most sort of overwrought and uh, 
like emotive stuff from that scene. So we're we're talking, you know, uh, a few albums into My Dying Bride's catalog, but presented in more of kind of a, an epic, almost funeral doom style. <clears throat> So, uh, Monument is a full band, uh, but it seems like the main guy behind this is Niklas, who is the guitarist, bassist, and does all the synth work as well. Um, and he's an interesting guy because he actually works uh, sort of internationally on a bunch of projects from uh, Vargheist Records, uh, who some of you listeners might be familiar with uh, because that is... The label that puts out stuff like Psionic Madness, uh, a lot of Jared Moran's projects, um, all sorts of stuff. So I just thought I was under, I had no idea about his affiliation until I was doing some research for this segment. So uh, Monument uh, definitely falls deeply within this tradition of uh, of South American Doom Death. It bears some resemblance to maybe some stuff off like Solitude Productions uh, out of Europe. But there's some interesting features to it that I wanted to touch on. Um, so basically, uh, what you guys are imagining at home is probably pretty close to the the, the actual product on display here. Uh, very slow, very mournful doom songs that are emboldened by a lot of uh, sort of synthesized strings and uh, choral vocals. Uh, uh, lots of cleans, lots of sort of plaintive clean guitar passages. Um but what I find most interesting about this is uh, sort of the reversal of expectations um, when it comes to the strengths and weaknesses of an average metal record. Monument has a lot of trouble getting a song started, but they tend to end them in really compelling ways, which is kind of the opposite problem of a lot of metal bands who start songs really strong but have difficulty wrapping them up. <laughs> so yeah, I, you've I, talked about that before. I've noticed it. Yeah, I just found that uh, I found that really interesting. So these guys take a while to get going on these very long songs, but usually the place they arrive at is really cool. It's just kind of an issue of getting the ball rolling in those first couple minutes. But I, I've been monologuing for a while, so uh, you know, Black Metal Guy, what did you think of this one? Well, uh, you know, I, I really tend to like Peaceville stuff, and I've been listening to more and more of it over the last couple of years, um, and, you know, things related to that. Uh, I was going in hoping for something that sounded more like that than this actually does. Mm -hmm. um, I think, like, wait, so I'm especially spaced out tonight. Did you already mention Caledon Brood? No, I haven't yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... So you, it's one thing you mentioned in the notes, sort of like like uh, Gothic Doom plus Kaladin, and uh, I, I definitely hear that, and I actually think, although you know I'm not a big Kaladin fan, I yeah. actually like that idea. That makes sense to me. Yeah, you know, like summoning epic summoning style stuff mixed into uh, mixed into heavy slow doom, so that you have some actual metal low end and grit to it, but you're getting um, dense arrangements and hooks and, you know, epic atmospheres. That sounds, it sounds like they would, like, sort of complement each other well. However, this definitely leans hard to the most Atmo Black side of Caladan. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that a lot of those textures here I just can't get into. Um, and I don't know what it is. We've had some some glut of bands with really distorted vocals lately. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe it, I've just started to notice it more. 
but I can't get into the vocals here, and those are part of the kind of Atmo Black sound. Um, so I, I guess kind of predictably, I like the parts that sound like, you know, My Dying Bride or uh, any of those bands, and I uh, have a hard time getting my hooks in other parts, but some of the best are where you've got both going at once. Um, and my first sample kind of speaks to that. Uh, so on Rain and Thunder... Uh, this is the first track. Uh, they do indeed take a minute to get going, but uh, you know you, you'll be able to hear a bit of the type Caladan chorus, you know, epic chorus, clean vocal thing going on, uh, and then it'll go into some, and and oh, also, and under it you'll hear some Gothic doom elements, but weirdly quiet. But then it goes someplace I like a lot and weaves the sort of two sides together in, in a good way that I think is like this band at its best. So then it does that, but the, um, the chug part was really good. And, uh, especially where the, the chug riff starts and then at the turnaround at the end of the first or second loop of it, you get, uh, you get one of those mournful peaceful leads in tandem with the bend. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, you know, that's what I want to hear, right? That's a very specific kind of riffing that you don't get much outside of this context. Um, and those sorts of solemn medieval riffs that have some an unusual amount of inflection and anguish and are doing the kind of maiden twin guitar thing, that is just awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think we both agree that some of the best moments on this record really are... Um, 
the really from a riffing perspective, a lot of the kind of chuggy stuff tends to be some of the best in the way that it intersects with the this is a very lead guitar focused record. Um, but without kind of that that anchoring chug, sometimes they can feel a little bit diffuse and wandering. You know, having that chug in there really anchors the lead guitars to something with more body. Yeah, and there's a change in the tone when the chug comes in. Like, you could hear that, right? Like, mm-hmm. at the beginning, there are these sorts of low... There are these... Uh, you know, there also are Peaceville Doom leads happening under that initial section, but because it's being drowned out by the bit-crushed vocals and the kind of, like, Atmo Black power chords, it's, um, they are not coming to the fore, and they're just not that heavy. They sound thin. There's, like, a different tone on them, and they're submerged in the mix. And then when they come to the lead, when they're playing those... That sounds great. That sounds like how it should be. The leads are thicker there, and I think they're just using different pedals. Uh... And, you know, so, like, the lead work is always good. And if that's central, you might want to accentuate that more everywhere. Yeah, I I think this is... I think this is... Yeah, sorry. I I should let you talk, but I've got one more thing to say. Yeah, go ahead. No, just one more thing on this one is uh, I really like, then, when the the layered chant comes in Mm. uh, over the chug riff. Not a thing we usually get, and that's exactly the kind of promising thing about this combination... I think the strongest vocals on this record are the clean ones, and they have well-written parts, and that and the chug complement each other in a good way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I think we're both basically of the same mind that this record is at its coolest, at its densest, you know? And I I think maybe one of the limiting factors for this record is that it's sort of attempting to adhere to... Um, sort of doom or like almost funeral doom uh, writing standards structurally Um, because it seems like the coolest parts and the parts where the band seems most excited are the densest ones with the most instrumental voices playing you know where you've got the leads you've got the synths you've got the clean vocals all sort of interacting in cool ways melodically I think this is a band that is but I think this band is under the impression that they really need to do these significant kind of protracted buildups to give those parts significance. But I would argue that they have significance just unto themselves. Uh, they don't really need all the preamble. So I'm going to go to my sample. As, as we always say, just play the cool part. Yeah, exactly. Just play the cool part. Um, so here's an example of the band doing one of those build-up sections, but uh, mid-song and in kind of a compressed format. So you can get away with doing the build-up, but you don't need to spend as much time on it. And I think that when they do it a bit more immediately, it becomes even more effective. So I want to listen to part of uh, Chasm of Abandoned Souls, the second track, uh, which does a really cool double time trick that comes mm. out of nowhere and is made more effective by the fact that that sudden shift doesn't have any of that preamble associated with, which makes it really striking to the ear.
So I really enjoy the whole way that part progresses. You've got, you know, a, a, a sort of standard but well-executed romantic funeral doom part at the beginning of that sample, which out of nowhere, you know, goes into double time, which is still pretty slow, but is pretty up-tempo for this record with that cool chug riff. And then when it, when it drops back down into its original tempo... Um, the violins emerge competing with, you know, the twin guitars, uh, and it's really cool. It's an extremely effective buildup that's executed in just a couple minutes. And, you know, that climax, yeah, and then it makes the slowdown climactic. I actually was finding myself really liking the violin stuff there, and that's how they roll the song out, right? It's one of the big endings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that's consistent across this record is... Once you get past, because these are predictably pretty long tracks, it's around like the two to three minute mark in all these tracks where the song really gets going. And I find myself wondering, because I've kind of thought about this myself. Um, I understand that part of the convention of Funeral Doom stuff is, you know, sort of long, laborious track lengths, but... I mean, is there any reason there couldn't be a place for a a funeral doom band with just the densest five minutes of, you you know, another band's songs, you know, to have these things compressed into these just big, immediate and epic and intense compositions? I think it's interesting to consider. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um it's yeah i would say the good parts are good a lot of it kind of leaves me cold though um i was also thinking one thing like um they say that there's a heavy folk influence here um and that some of is some of it it seems to be influenced they say the deepest and most emotional tunes of traditional chilean folklore uh and i like if they mean like actual folk music from Chile, I don't hear that, and I would like to hear more of it. Yeah, I I, I think that influence bears out a little bit on some of the uh, on some of the melodic ideas, but it's definitely understated. And yeah, I think that might be the sort of thing to incorporate more fully. I th- I think it's being mediated by post black. It's like folky folky atmo black stuff and i would like to hear more just like actual folk i was also thinking about the other i think they seem to think agaloc is the biggest influence here mm, and, i can kind of see that yeah you heard it as gothic doom but if you re- think of it as like agaloc it's like oh that makes sense because they have a lot of doomy stuff right Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like kind the, of the dominant metal thing for agaloc really yeah the older agaloc and you know I- i've i liked ashes against the grain uh kind of a lot when i was a kid there was certain guitar proggy guitar stuff that i could never get that into but i just listened past it and in retrospect i i can't listen to most of the record but i still really do like the song um not unlike the waves mm-hmm, that's which one has of the an, big ones yeah. an, an awesome chug riff um and also really cool uh Really cool sort of deep, clean vocal layering. And I bet these guys love that track, and I'd like to hear just more that sounds like that. Yeah, I, I think that I think this is a band that uh, has locked onto something at its biggest moments, and it's really just a matter of them being like, hey, don't worry about the structural conventions of the parent genre. Just play the good part.
Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are back with, uh, well, you know, we did we did another Poser episode. What was that? Uh, a couple weeks ago, where we were talking about mainstream stuff, and now here we are again uh, with uh, radically different results. Uh, so well, we are actually covering the new record by Candlemass titled Sweet Evil Sun out on Napalm Records, uh, where dreams go to die. Um, this is the band's 13th full-length record from the seminal uh, epic doom band from Sweden. Uh, I assume Candlemass needs no further introduction to our listeners. Uh yeah. So how a uh, black metal guy like feasibly how do I how do I begin how do I begin talking about this? Um we've been pretty good this year. We haven't done anything like uh, absurdly harshly critical. We, we usually do that a couple times a year cuz we try to just review good things. But we were like, okay, so we got an episode with a bunch of doom bands and stuff and we were trying to find a ringer. I was like, there we go. Candlemass has a new one. Uh, and it is, uh, just, just, just f- fucking awful. I, I, there, there's no more polite way to say this. This is, uh, this is fucking atrocious. Um, and usually if something's atrocious, we don't even bother to cover it, but this is terrible in kind of a fascinating way. And, and a funny way. You know, I enjoyed listening to this, but only in the sense that I was listening to it so you don't have to. Um, yeah, like this was pretty good for the lulls, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. This is like, this is entirely unnecessary for anyone to listen to. Like I, I assure (laughs) like there is not behind, you know, behind the wall of our samples and stuff. There is not some like mysterious gem you're going to find. I tried to pick the good parts. And they're still bad. They're still pretty bad. They're still bad. So so I I guess I should talk... uh, so my, I've got kind of a theory about about this in particular. Which, and I think the one thing we should say to lead off is that, like, there was not really a particular reason to think this would be bad. Like, I, I really only found Candlemass, or only really started listening to them in the last year or two because of the Cromlech guys who said, no, like, you got to give it a shot. It's like Celtic Frost, sort of, in a weird way. <laughs> and I listened to it, and I, I kind of got it because it's like, slow especially they like epicus dumicus a lot which has Mm -hmm. that raw tone but like i listen to the first three records and i like them a lot right because they're very different it is unlike a lot of doom stuff it is it is uh not bluesy in the way it is distinctly sort of european heavy guitar music in the way that extreme metal is so it's not um it's not trying to be sabbath trying to be led zeppelin or uh or any of that. It well, is just it wasn't uh, back then, at least. It, well, it, I'm talking. Yes, literary present tense. Um, <laughs> yeah, like those records are. Uh, I mean, they have bluesy parts on them, but that's not what's dictating it. And it's not like stone, limp stoner shit. It's uh, it's not even sad per se, although it is extremely bleak. Um, and you know they have kinds of elaborate gothic truly neoclassical and folk-based riffing that i think was hugely influential on black metal um like and and the the keyboard use and whatever it's like 
by the mid to late 80s, that is what sounded like that. Like, there were a few other bands that had sounds like that that influenced the black metal sense of epic. Yeah, um, no, I agree. I mean, they are... They were one of the first extreme doom bands. Like, they're, like, ground zero for, like, like Peaceville, for Solstice, uh, for anyone doing shit like that today. And also big generally. And then, and you think... They're the kind of it's it's highly songwriting based music, riff ba- riff and overall structure based music. You would think a band like this could very well still be good. Yeah. But but it really <laughs> sucks. It's so miserable. So so my theory about this record is um that this is a band that like tremendously misunderstands its own legacy. Like this this is a band that is completely blanking on what actually made them good. They they've completely mm-hmm. misunderstood it. So if you so going back to old Candlemass, um so I'll be frank, it's like Candlemass is a a great and influential band that I've never really liked that much. It's just like, you know, it's it's got it's based around melodic ideas that I've just never really been that into, but I can appreciate it for what it is. It's obviously very good at what it is. It just happens to be outside my usual taste. Um, the problem as I see it is when you go back to old Candlemass records, there are certain conceits in that music that you kind of have to overlook. You have to suspend your disbelief. There's an inherent kind of goofiness to some of it that's mm-hmm. probably unintentional, maybe. Yeah, because um, those were those were hallmarks. That's one reason punks thought all that shit was goofy was that that was those were hallmarks of quote unquote serious prog and metal. Yeah, it's 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 right? definitely it was pompous. It was pompous silliness. It's the today's equivalent is the five minute ambient atmospheric middle of song. Yes, uh, it's it, there's a, a, a there's a certain spinal taposity to yeah, <laughs> a lot yeah. of early, even in the vocals. Like Messiah is a fantastic vocalist, but it takes some. If you're used to people screaming in animal sounds, um, yeah. <laughs> if, if that's your idea of what serious vocals sound like, it's going to take you a minute to get used to uh, that kind of like flamboyant operatic. Uh, you know, um, deliberately 80s, 70s and 80s ideas of musicianship. Yeah. Totally melodramatic, theatrical. You're just like, okay. I And that's why I couldn't get into it as a kid and why it's a little easier for me now because I've learned how to, yeah, you learn how to suspend disbelief and listen around things. Yeah. And on this record, it's impossible. It is impossible, and also I think that Candlemass are under the impression that the things you have to listen around are the defining qualities of the band. Yeah. Like, Candlemass at this point does not appear to think that, like, riffs or songwriting or melodic ideas were the central features of early Candlemass. They seem to think that it was the, the... The... the worst and most dated and most awkward sounding shit from early mm-hmm. Candlemass is the defining feature. So what they've done is they've created a record that leans into all the worst tendencies of early Candlemass and makes a record completely about those things. Like, <laughs> like the core musical ideas of early Candlemass have been just utterly jettisoned. 
Like <laughs> that's that's pretty much true. <laughs> it's um, just so so. Basically, the result I, is. I would say. Okay, go ahead. Finish. Well, no, I was just gonna say it's like. Another thing is that, uh, you know, Candlemass, especially in the era it comes from, is a doom metal band, but it's also like a heavy metal band. Mm -hmm. So what this really sounds like is sort of the the slowest and worst parts of later Manowar, plus Mm. just fucking stoner rock. Yeah, there's a... yeah. And that is that is Sweet Evil Sun by Candlemass. It is a bad stoner rock record for people with a dim memory of the 80s. So is that where we get into the sort of uh, audience question? Or do you want to like listen to some riffs first? Or um, not riffs. Uh, listen to some music. Some some stuff first yeah i put giant scare quotes around riffs and music yeah. fuck uh, no i want to talk about that because that was something i was considering and you, but you're the one who wrote it out so yeah and i think that's extremely that 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 speaks a lot to what the purpose well, of this record is well i think i mentioned it the other week kind of as a random ta- quick random tangent that like one theory i've had is that touring kills metal bands um I don't think it's necessarily true. I mean, you can find lots. That's exceptions to every rule. You can find a lot of exceptions to that rule. Um, Some bands age into the band that they should be with touring. Like, arguably, Primordial is legitimately a better band once they started focusing on a certain kind of anthemic writing or something. Mm -hmm. Song-based anthemic writing. Uh, But, like, although, I I don't know, even that is arguable. Um, But, like, the... um, there's a a way that if you become a successful metal band, you are able to tour. And this is primarily true if you got in before a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. If you started playing metal seriously after 2010 and you're not in Megla, good luck, right? Yeah. Um, and those guys don't make a living touring either, right? That's not mm-hmm. their thing. Um, they very seriously write difficult-to-write albums. And that's the thing. Once you start touring, you realize that half the audience isn't there to see you and 75% of them aren't particularly interested in like, like they're, they're not listening to the music, right? 75% of the audience is like getting a beer or like trying to hit on some chick or, uh, talking to their friend that they saw at a show six months ago or sort of listening to the music, but just letting it wash over them because they're like, haha, loud sound good. Um, and that's not even necessarily a bad thing, right? It's just like, yeah, there are only so many metal shows in most towns. You're going to go out to the metal show. You like standing in front of the amplifiers when it's loud. Um, and if you play big enough audiences, you're going to places where people want sing-along crowd-pleasing numbers with maybe a, where, you know, the, the and metal sound, right? Live sound is such that very often you can't hear the riffs or you have to really be a serious metal guy to bother listening for the riffs and the rhythmic play going on. Most of the time it's a big thing washing over you and your average listener, what sticks out is the part where like the guitars drop out and there's the bass and the vocalist chants something memorable like put your back into the oar. Um, And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Um, It becomes theater and it becomes rock and roll. And you just start writing, and you realize no one can hear the riffs, nobody cares. People love your records anyway, people buy your records and come to your tour. Why would you write riffs? Why would you write elaborately? Why would you be such an autist to write, like, 
eight minute songs with a ton of sick riffs that are primarily appreciated by other like skinny weird dudes <laughs> right yeah. um it's like it's so you end up playing to the crowd and bands there's different kinds of crowd and some are better than others but they're all crowds um and if you're Candlemass, unfortunately, the kind of crowd you find for the last 20 years is stoner doom crowds. Mm, yeah. And and just the, the kind of the worst sort of like mass market metal festival goer, like like <laughs> sub fucking mongoloid. Yeah, yeah. You know, like. Hellstock. Hellstock, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like... Um, uh, Bonefest, um, <laughs> Bloodstock, yeah, yeah, yeah. this kind of shit. But no, I, I think you're you're completely correct. It's like the nobody. I would go as far as to say that there are very few people deliberately listening to New Candlemas. <laughs> New Candlemas is something heard by people. Uh, drunk at a festival at 7 p.m. on a Thursday. There's a bunch of comments on this record, and, like, most of them are positive, but they're all, like, totally lukewarm. Um, uh, oh, wait, I found a, I found a critical comment. Well, that's, they're, they're only one, they're, like, literally only one or two, but, but even, they're all sort of lukewarmly positive. Yeah, because it's, because they understand that it's bullshit like that like mm-hmm. they've it, like this is a population of listeners who have accepted the fact that Candlemass are never going to do anything great again so they're just yeah. like yeah but it's like it's okay which means that it's good you know <laughs> like yeah. so here's the thing about the riffing right i remember like when when i i told the death metal guy i initially kind of liked it because i just clicked on two random tracks which turned out to be more like single oriented tracks mm-hmm. like scandinavian gods and uh the title track and i was just like okay well like you know yeah there's lots about this i don't like right the snake charmer melodies and the vocals the you know it the sort of stoner doom vibe that's obviously there but like hey it's candle mass they're doing a comeback record i guess i went into my disbelief suspension listening past mode and also just okay this is sort of party metal but and and part of that is because the baseline kind this this metal you shouldn't be comparing candle mass to stoner doom but this record begs to be compared to stoner doom because that's what it is and so baseline Candlemass riffing is still going to be better than 99% of Stoner Doom bands. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's a better kind of riffing. It's just better than shitty blues rock riffs. Yeah, um, and Stoner Doom really is... really low on flabby strings. Yeah, Stoner Doom is just a, a dead end it's, thing that it, doesn't matter. It may, yeah. be the, it's, it may be the worst, like, obviously Atmo Black is really bad, and maybe for somewhat different reasons, but it may be the... It, it, it's it's really up there for worst genre of metal. Um, and so this is uh, competing with that. And so the Candlemass guitarist phoning it in, well, he's playing a better kind of riff, which is a slow, evil thrash riff. That's much better. He knows how to take basic riffs and dress them up and make them a little bespoke. Um, you know? So you listen to a couple songs of it, and you're like, hey, well, this is a lot better than the latest Electric Wizard record, I'm sure. Um, but you listen to a whole record of it, and you start to realize, 
Well, uh, these basically, these riffs, once you've heard one or two of them, you've heard them all. Mm -hmm. And basically, this it's full of sort of like half-assed calling card gestures, I would say. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, there, 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 there is something like, so fucking demonstrative about yes. so much of this record. Like, like yeah. Sweet Evil Son and uh, like Battle Angels or whatever, Angel Battle. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, I was confusing that with an anime that's or a manga that's good. Um, uh, the um, Angel Battle, right? You're like, okay, the song's called Angel Battle, right? It's like medieval Christianity and swords. Yeah, we're getting into it. This is Candlemass. And it has, it gestures at like an epic chorus. Uh, you know, they do a sort of big chord change. They go into Dorian Minor. The vocalist gets a little more grim or epic. And you're like, yeah. And then it's over, like right when the section starts. A Sweet Evil Sun is the same thing. They just like go halfway through a doom riffing sequence, turn it around, and it's done. And yeah. to the extent that, that that song is catchy, and I listened to it mostly like once a couple nights ago, and like maybe once or twice just now, it's stuck in my head and I resent it. Yeah, it's there is something simultaneously infuriating and yet nondescript about so much of the music on this. Like, like you pointed out Scandinavian gods, like that. Like, like that title could suffice as the review because it's like they couldn't even be fucking bothered to make it more specific. A lot of the lyrics in that song don't even seem like they belong in the same song. Like they're like sentences that are disconnected but fit in the rhythm. Like oh, I'm not even sure the title goes with the rest of the lyrics, which we'll get to. Oh, oh, we will talk about the lyrics on this record as just a. Oh my fucking god, what a travesty. But let, let me play some music so we're not just screaming the whole time. Okay, so I want to play something off of the the opening track. I want to play the closing couple minutes of the opening track called Wizard of the Vortex, which would be very cool in any other situation. Yeah. Um. So Wizard of the Vortex. Okay, so this is opening the fucking album. So... I am sure Candlemass can resist the urge to do something incredibly fucking embarrassing on the first track of the album. That is not Surely. the case. So I'm going to play the last couple minutes of this song, and I and I'm going to talk to the listeners right now. You're not allowed to like skip this part. You need to listen to this whole thing. And when you start feeling bad and you start feeling the cringe, you don't get to like skip forward. I had to do this. And now you have to as well. And we're, I'm not even making you listen to the other, like, almost a goddamn hour of this thing. I just need you to listen to two minutes of what Candlemass thinks is, like, a flagship thing to present to all the listeners.
Okay, so the striking thing isn't that there's one embarrassing feature. It's like there's like five points of like intense, just like embarrassing, awful decision making like that almost seems malicious to the listener there. Uh, the, the, the most obvious among them being like uh, no heavy metal record. I, I can say categorically, ever needs to feature uh, a soft choral part going I-I-I-I-I. That never needs to fucking happen, ever. No Elvis, no Beatles, or no Rolling Stones. Absolutely fucking not. That, that's, that is an unacceptable thing to have. Um, but <laughs> also the down, 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 down. That's awful. The the horrible climbing guitar fill thing. The dun 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 dun. Before the final chorus, um, this is all complete. This is this is unacceptable. Like this, like there were so many uh, opportunities for this band to stop that from happening. <laughs> they could have they could have you gotta think this is a bunch of adult men made a choice consciously to do this and and i wonder if it's like what's worse if they if if they thought it was just a great idea the whole time and they're like yes this is fucking sick or if they had doubts about it and worked through it like like what's the worse fucking situation there well, it's worse if they had doubts about it, but like I don't think you could have doubts about it and do it. You know what I mean? You have like, to just be so bold as to make these yeah, decisions. Yeah, like you know, like yeah, exactly. You you have to think this is awesome. I mean, I'm sure they were like, "Yeah, we want to pay tribute to like the classic rock and prog bands of our youth that got us into this." But like, yeah, please fucking don't. Yeah, yeah. Like, like while um, while that outro was playing, I said to the black metal guy, "This is just the fucking Spinal Tap Stonehenge scene. What's happening right now? Like, this is. There were moments on this record where I was like, sincerely, is this a parody of like classic heavy metal? Is this an elaborate sort of tongue-in-cheek joke? I cannot tell. I, 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 I it is impossible to distinguish." some of these songs from like a parody and not yeah. even if, an affectionate if, one. If you have a punk friend who hates metal, you can like listen to this together and laugh. Yeah. It, it seems like it's this designed. is everything punks thought metal was. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, everything extreme metal existed to not be. Uh, it's just, uh, it, and this is how the record opens. This is the mm. first song, and it's only the beginning of a series of tragedies. Um, <laughs> I, 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 well, that's very doom. That's very epicus doomicus. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, like the actual doom. 
we were, we really wanted the series the li- of tragedy. We really wanted the listener to feel the depression, so we made every shitty fucking decision we could along the way. Uh, so that's so that's how it opens. Let's let's get to more. Let's keep this cavalcade of sorrows going. Black metal guy, what do we have next? <laughs> I tried to, I, I tried to pick a good one. Um, and so this is uh, let's just start out with some naive pilgrims though we are. We are 24 minutes into the record and we still have some hope in our hearts. <laughs> let's, let's, let's find out what happens. When the devil sighs. Sabbath song is that where Ozzy just goes, "Oh God, no!" Oh, uh, he does something akin to that on the self-titled track on War Pigs. It's "Oh Lord, yeah." So I like this being no. the inverse of that, being <laughs> "Oh God, no." Yeah. So, so yeah, it starts with a real sort of doom riff. It's sort of noble and crestfallen, big. It's definitely not the best Candlemas can do, but it's like pretty solid. And then we immediately get. 
dunk, 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 musical theater part. And then after that, we get another good riff. And maybe it's the same riff, and then they do the stupid clean vocal thing. <sighs> and then we get this kind of not very good, but at least kind of brutal doom riff. And then we just get fucking Boris the Spider. It's... Uh, oh, it's man. It, like, it, it, these are the parts that, like, we were talking about The Who on the Discord the other day. These are the things that, like, made me not like The Who at all. It, it's, it's, I can't, I, I can't fathom the fucking decision-making process beside, behind some of this stuff. Like, like, even, like, like, the vocal delivery has, like, a sneering quality, like it hates mm-hmm. its own audience, you know? I know what you mean, Yeah. There, there is something so. It's like, it is. This is a record that is half-assed in an antagonistic way. This is like a contractual fulfillment record, you know. Well, I, I don't know. I kind of disagree. I think this is worse. I you think, think they they're really committed it. to it? <laughs> like, yeah, like if you wanted to phone it in, you could write something that with a lot. There's like a lot of parts in this record. And they, they thought about how to write all these kind of bespoke musical theater parts that are all, like, the worst parts of the record. I think this is worse, like, I think this is worse than Malice. I think this is, like, I, I think this is happening with a clean conscience and deliberate intent. <laughs> like the worst crimes against Yes, humanity. this is innocently malevolent. This is, this, is, uh, this, uh, this is a child burning ants with a magnifying glass. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's um, it it's um. This is like, uh, yeah. Like so. Let's talk about that structure. Basically, it's structured like big riff, unusual showy part. Big riff, unusual showy part. Big riff, unusual showy part, right? There's no overall arc to the song. It's just an alternation of stuff, right? Um, And that can work wonders if both the parts are good. Instead, we get a new form of horror in the non-heavy sense of the word on each time the B section comes up. There's like some creative form of... uh, some creative form of sonic cock and ball torture, not the band. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, well, what I find interesting, well, here, okay, so maybe is this the thought process? So Candlemass has always had this kind of theatrical quality to it, but they achieved it on earlier records by just writing stuff that sounded kind of theatrical. They didn't feel mm-hmm. the need to put in these, like, yes. demonstrative fucking parts. Numbers. So, so are the guys, like, under the impression that that's, like, an upgrade? Like, doing the full musical theater thing is them arriving oh. at something? Oh. Well, I think, yeah, it, it might be that, and it might be a bit of, like, well, you know, you always do your funny impressions of old guy metalheads at the bar. This might be a case of, like, well, you, you know, King Diamond's all well and good, but you know what's really heavy, man? Those Alice Cooper records. Ah, fuck, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is a very Alice Cooper thing to do. 
And at least Alice yeah. Cooper had the dignity to be tongue-in-cheek about the whole thing. Yeah, we all respect Alice Cooper from a very, very far distance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll listen to like 18 or 16, I don't know, whichever one when it's on the radio. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's you the know, way you're supposed like, to listen to Alice school's Cooper. School's out for summer. Okay, that's a great song. We all love the song about blowing up the school in Minecraft. Um, <laughs> but the, um, like, but it's, um, you know, yeah, like the idea of like, actually sitting down and listening to like that's what art school kids did back then that's the weird thing right alice cooper i heard him interviewed once and he talked about how you know oh yeah well you know we went to art school and the who too right pete townsend Mm -hmm. went to art school what it taught them was they clearly learned nothing about like modern art or like what made classical music cool or i don't know they they seemed to learn musical theater Mm mm-hmm yeah like it's, you need a you need a concept. You need something like visual, and like yeah, yeah. It, 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 there's this is this record is a slave <laughs> well, to impulses. You know what? It makes but... sense. It makes sense because what has art school taught everyone for the last fucking seventy years? It's that you need a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. And this is Candlemas desperately throwing gimmicks at the wall and hoping that some of them stick. Um. Oh, before we move on, I, I think it's a great time to... Now we can just periodically talk about lyrics. Uh, you didn't get to this stanza in this song, but I just pulled up the lyrics and I want to read this. Uh, and I I, I, I want to tell everyone, I'm dead fucking serious that these are lyrics from a major metal band. Uh, from the same band that had the... That did solitude, f- you know? <laughs> the four or five part song about being like a... A um the the virtues of being a charitable medieval man, yeah. like which which may have actually been lifted from some medieval uh you know medieval songbook or something for all I know. Yeah, right? and it has like emotional weight and shit. Extreme emotional weight. Yeah. This this is what Candlemas. So this is what Candlemas writes now. Uh, in that that glowering fucking vocal performance, these lines are actually uh, sung. Same as usual, this freaking labyrinth, I think of you, apocalyptic grin. He walks beside me, abacus in hand. It's like a date with Nosferatu the damned. What what the fuck are we doing? Like, like an, what are we doing here? And another part on the song, he rhymes... Uh, or no, he at the beginning of the song he says, "A gentle man called Death." It's, it, it it's 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 it, it's inconceivable that these sorts of lines were considered good. These were hastily jotted on a notepad thirty minutes before recording. I I refuse to live in a world where it took time and effort to construct this kind of shit. It's like a date with Nosferatu the Damned. Sweet Evil Son is about hope, striving, adoration, and failure. It's about all the personal battles that you have, but also the never-ending decay of humanity. The record took over a year to make, and there's not a bad track on it. We had a fantastic time recording it and are really looking forward to the release. It's doom, it's metal. It is the essence of Candlemas put into one album. Well... Death metal guy, this is it. This was a work of innocent malice. This is the cultural revolution of doom metal. 
Jesus fucking Christ. It seriously is. It's like, I just say. Place the sparrows directly in the furnace. We're taking a great <laughs> leap forward right now. <laughs> oh, okay. What, 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 we, what have we got next? Oh, yeah. We've got, we've got uh, the, well, yeah, fucking metal. They like the fucking Scandinavian gods. Uh, I'm not going to read any books, though. Let's do a song called Scandinavian Gods. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this is like one of the catchier songs on the record. You can tell it's written for a live audience because it has a sing-along aspect to it and mm-hmm. some real sing-along pandering here. Um, but, you know, so one thing about Candlemas was they helped pave the way for eth- epic Bathory. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Part of it was that they would play these long, majestic chord progression sequences that sort of thundered through Dor- strong Dorian, you know, root notes in Dorian scale, in, in you know, minor, co- minor chord progressions, basically. Um, so you're gonna actually going to get kind of a complete, where most of the time they keep, like, cutting off these sequences halfway through to make some throwaway epic chorus. Here, you pretty much actually get one. They complete an old Candlemas epic chord progression. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, could it, like, could it actually be good? Together, let's build a better future. Brought to you by the World Economic Forum. This is fucking... I feel secondhand shame listening to that. It's... it's What what, what is going on? Like, this... I, I, I am unfathomably confused by, by these songs. As we were both agreed while I was playing... These lyrics have nothing to do with Scandinavian God. Like, there's n- no connection between the title and the content here. 
In rain and sunshine, heaven and hell, will you feel grief for me? Scandinavian gods. It's like they could even tell because they have the chorus cut across the other lyrics. Um, in rain and sunshine, heaven and hell, will you feel grief for me? Hey, Scandinavian gods. Sing for me, brother, sister, and son. Sing for the brave and old Scandinavian gods. Um, and like to the extent that you can make, if you tried to, if there is actually a meaning to this, it seems to be something like, um, let's leave all the old dusty ways behind. The Scandinavian gods were kind of metal, but we need to build Imagine by John Lennon. Which I, I cannot think of something more fundamentally against everything that you and I listen to heavy metal for. That might, that might be the least metal sentiment ever articulated in a metal song. And it's, we've lived through a lot at this point. It's the literal opposite of everything yeah. we stand for artistically. I, I think the thing that it might be referencing is the Immigrant Song by Zeppelin, where, like, like three quarters of the way through, he says some really fruity shit, like, about peace and love can win the day despite all your whatever. However, it is very clear that that is an afterthought. Like, like you know, Robert Plant threw that in there because he was nominally committed to not believing it's cool to just randomly pillage people and fuck shit up. However, Led Zeppelin was based on the fact that that was actually cool. It's like, like I, I I guarantee you, Robert Plant wrote that line, and Jimmy Page was like, "What are you doing?" Jimmy and... Page was like, "I wrote this lyric about smiting the enemies of Thor, dude. Like, I I wrote this song after like fucking three women and literally worshiping the devil. Like, and, <laughs> and you like you you added that hippie ass bullshit at the end." Like <laughs> this, this is the sort of thing that um, guys uh, who are really committed to the idea of like, I'm a metalhead, but dude, I'm just like you, you know, like that guy. Oh, oh like yeah, that's yeah, this yeah. Is the kind of thing he points to. Someone once sent me an an article about how like metalheads say that like listening, you know, there's a psychological tests have revealed that people who listen to heavy music, um. It, they use it to manage anger. I mean, there's a certain kind of person who says they listen to metal to like get the, get the you know for catharsis to get the anger out, and that like uh, that's we, like we, the we, standard we, midwit we, line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we look we we measured their emotions, and after listening to metal, they had fewer negative emotions. Uh, I, I like I, I don't know if I've ever met anyone who listens to metal for that. No, no, I, 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 I'm incredibly angry all the time, which is one of the reasons I'm attracted to this music. It's not discharging anything. Yeah, if anything, it's only making me more it's, pissed it's, it's off. Hard, you know? Yeah, there's like there's certain kinds of records I try not to listen to all the time because I can't do anything after listening to them, right? Or the only things I could do are not legal. <laughs> it's like it's like when when I listen to Flesh Grind, I have to like hang out at home for an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, no, it's like, this is, this is, this is artistic poison. This is, uh, but no, it's like, and honestly, I mean, that's kind of a microcosm of the whole record. It's like, this is music for that guy. That guy who just has no fucking investment in this being like serious art at all. Don't let Wormtongue pour this poison in your ear. Oh, fucking God. All right. Um, 
one more, one more, and we can we can be done. <laughs> I'm so fucking mad right now. Like I was pissed listening to this album. I'm like angrier now. You see, it doesn't give you catharsis. It just makes you fucking more angry. Um, Devil Voodoo. Uh, immediately unacceptable fucking song title. Because uh, you just know what's about to happen. I wrote a one-sentence note for this. Uh, we're starting at the very beginning, and I just said, this is indistinguishable from a joke song. I want you all at home to listen and sincerely consider whether... If this was presented as a parody, if you would be surprised at all. Wait, you should tell them the name of the song. I did. Oh, oh sorry, I wasn't paying attention. No, you're good. I'm lost and insane I just sit here and wait for devil voodoo Tired and so bored Like many times before Longing for some soul with some devil voodoo How could you conceive of this as like a song that is presented seriously to an audience that is like supposed to be considered as an actual artistic statement? Like how, like what, what godforsaken fucking reality is this emblematic of a, a group of musicians trying to create something good? Yeah. Um, I I thought I thought I would read some of the lyrics. Oh please, please. Your, your sample doesn't your sample doesn't get to the best ones, so I, I'm gonna do some uh, some more. Um, Dancing with the devil, tango, room to room, transmission from the tombs. 
Can I really do what you want me to, my charming little friend? Step into the world of holy trance. Can't you feel it's coming? Oh, it's nothing new. The devil voodoo, it's here for you. In the midnight hour, touch of deja vu. The devil voodoo, it is true, so true. Greetings from the dark, daggers to the heart. It's devil voodoo taking you. I'm going to fucking kill myself and not in the cool way.
All right. And we are back for the last of the night. This is a split that I guess we would describe as basically torture doom uh-huh. between grave upheaval and the funeral orchestra uh, called Inexistentia on Parasitic Records. This one, uh, this one actually came out a little while back. This came out back in August. We just didn't have a good time to cover it, but we backburnered it because we figured yeah. it would be good. Slow. It took a while to get here. <laughs> it's um so the funeral orchestra is uh terminus alums uh that was one of the uh it was a very early episode for us back in 2020 yeah yeah um and that is the the main band of of oh, yeah the, the guy from sacramentum and from uh what, what's the rune magic Right. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, Nick, Nicholas Rudolphson. And uh, I remember he had a really positive response to the review, which was very cool. It was one of our it was maybe our first positive response from a, uh, you know, someone who had a really, really established reputation in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and we liked that record a lot. It was a little slow for me, but really held my attention because it had this uh, powerful sort of got understatedly gothic atmosphere. Now, the other band is Grave Upheaval, uh, who basically helped invent, I guess, what we would call cavern core. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, so, I've never really gotten your take on it, because I'm, I'm like a huge Grave Upheaval fan. So I, I think you, I, you were kind of like, the, yeah. Of, of the genre, they're one of the bands that gets a pass, basically, right? It's like, it's extreme enough that the guitar tone mongering is actually effective, Right, the tone is just really heavy. The exaggerated slowness works well for the style. I feel like they're in the vein of like I feel like Urkalian Oracle takes a lot from Grave Upheaval, and Urkalian was also one of the better bands in that style. I think I was actually thinking about it. I was like, um, Grave Upheaval uh, did Cavern Core first, and they did it best because they understood that it wasn't supposed to be music. And then <laughs> yes, everybody yeah, yeah. who followed in their footsteps somehow decided to work backward and start adding riffs and just made incantation with shitty production. Yeah, and these are guys who are also in Portal, right? Yeah, yeah, they're related to Portal and uh, a few other things. Yeah, yeah, it's um impetuous yeah, ritual. Up, shit grave like upheaval and impetuous ritual are are two of like the supreme cavern core bands because again they understand that it's not supposed to be music. Mm-hmm. They they have musical skill that's being deliberately applied in all the wrong places. Yeah, it's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, 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 like impetuous ritual play. Like the thing that staggered me about that music, how overpowering it is, is that like. You turn it way up, you hear all these different really complicated instrumental parts just completely crashing against each other and producing white noise. And there's just the and the dudes on stage just in diapers. And, and there's just something <laughs> hilarious, hilariously nihilistic about it that's awesome. Right? You gotta respect that. Um, yeah. I dig so it. so basically like um this is a difficult record. Um, the funeral orchestra is more stripped down than I think they were on the, on the last record. Uh, this is way more, uh, sparse and pared back. And, you know, you said the last one was kind of like Torture Doom. This one basically is Torture Doom, right? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I and, mean, it, we're, we're and, brushing right up against it. 
Grave Upheaval has a little more drama going on. I would say the guitar tone is dialed back somewhat, which is, I mean, maybe unfortunate. But the riffing is pretty active, and there's a bunch of sick riffs. Um, this, this is, is clearly is... the best... What? Oh, no, go ahead. You can finish your thought. Clearly the best record of the night. Um, and the funny thing about it is that, you know, after that fucking um, <laughs> candle mass record, it's like... You know, uh, you know, I'm the fast always guy, and but I'm like, okay, hell yeah, we're gonna listen to this depressing, crushingly slow torture doom uh, split. I'm so stoked. <laughs> thank, um, thank God. You thank know, God, some music. We can we can listen to something less depressing. Yes, um, it is also. I mean, you know, even even the first band, Monument, is not particularly extreme as extreme metal bands go. So it's a it was a relief to get to something like, ah, it's not music. Oh, thank God, this sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, this is this is a really good record, and I think it's because uh, this is one of those situations where it's a split that works very distinctly, like as an entity unto itself. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it's like there are two more or less distinct sides, but both bands are really leaning into each other on this. And the overall sense that I get is. Um, Something akin to a dark ambient record constructed out of, like, very extreme Doom parts. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like Grave Upheaval, um, I don't believe, outside of fits and starts, they've never really done anything this consistently slow before. But it, it, it totally makes sense. You know, Grave Upheaval has always had this sort of odd extreme Doom quality to it. Even when they're playing very fast, they feel very slow. Um, and the funeral orchestra, you know, by pairing back and distilling it into this like minimal grumbling, horrible thing kind of leans into the minimalism of grave upheaval. Uh, so there are distinct sides to this and distinctly different musical styles, but it flows together remarkably well as a, a continuous record. Yeah, that's an interesting thing you pointed out. And it's like, it's a promising format for extreme doom bands. Like, how do you do a full LP that people like myself who are, you know, down but not connoisseurs, mm -hmm. right? Like, you're a connoisseur, right? You live for this shit. You you <laughs> you recorded the four-hour Terminus special. You, I, I you can... conceived the four-hour Terminus special on Torture Doom. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, I, I, I passively suffered it. Um, it, yeah, it's, it, no, I, I get what you mean. It's like for someone who's not really dedicated to the style, listening to the same kind of timbral conceit, like even if you like it, fucking yeah. more than 20 minutes yeah. of it is Yeah, probably, like, like yeah. for music like this, you are the bottom of the iceberg, right? Because you actually really seek it out. I'm the second bottom of the iceberg. I listen to Iljarn for fun, but like this is different, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so like, but I can appreciate it. And so for something like this, it's a lot easier to keep the attention for the whole LP if it uh, if if it's a split because you just get this. The bands are intentionally creating a continuous atmosphere, playing to each playing towards each other in cool ways. You know, one grave up people slows it down more. Funeral orchestra sort of pairs it back even more, and you get a continuous atmosphere, but a dramatic mid-record change in style. Yeah, I, I'd say it's sort change of... Change in texture, as you say, timbre. The timbre changes dramatically, and it's like, oh, interesting. 
Yeah, it's kind of akin to when I go to like harsh noise shows, uh, and the the mm-hmm, guys mm-hmm. they they tend to do like fifteen minute sets, twenty minute sets, which is like just perfect because each project has its own kind of aesthetic conceit, and yep, yep. I get it, and I'm done with it in about twenty minutes, and so I get a nice variation of different sounds and stuff. And if I was more into harsh noise, I'm sure that I could listen to a full album of it. But that is just the right bite-sized format yeah. for that you want, you want 20 minutes of and like another 20 minutes of yeah yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. so I, I think this is a really no cool noise is really so. fun to see live I mean, <laughs> it is it's way better yeah. live than on record honestly <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah i agree um but anyway so i guess we'll get started with the grave upheaval side um which is Interesting. Do you think that most of the material... So, question. Do you think most of the material on both sides of this was improv? I guess I didn't really think that much. I'm kind of kind of tired today, so I, I I didn't think it over that much. No, I think there's some very deliberate stuff on the Grave Upheaval part that I sampled. Um, I think there's deliberate stuff, but I think there is... I think there's probably islands of, like, composed stuff and then kind of improv swirling Do they, around it. W- wait, w- what are the lineups like? So does Grave Upheaval have a bass, for instance? Um, uh, I, I, supposedly there is bass on this. I mean, who knows? Oh, yeah, but production. it seems to be played by the same guy. So that's the question, right? Like, a certain kind of improv is always easier if you don't have to deal with multiple musicians, right? Because you always know where you're going. Um, yeah, I could believe it. Um, I, I could certainly believe it. Like, uh, at the same time, has it... What, how long has it been since the last Funeral Orchestra release? I'll like, just, did we miss one or two? Uh, there was... Um, so there was... Yeah, it looks like we... Actually, it looks like a full length came out this year and we missed it. Well, it's, um, no, that, that full length is sort of like a compilation. There's like a new mm-hmm. song and then it's sort of re-recordings of other stuff. If Funeral Orchestra does a lot of like re-recordings of old material. So it's, it. it's kind of in the middle of like whether you consider it new or not. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely got the sense that a lot of this was like partially improvised. Like maybe a skeleton of a song was laid down and then there was a lot of improv over it because you can definitely tell, at least, you know, focusing in on grave upheaval for now, that the riffing for the most part is not conforming to normal senses of timing or rhythm. It's very loose and freeform and organic. But in a really interesting way, and I think it it works. Like this this whole record has this atmosphere of I would call it like amorphous darkness. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. sort of shapeless, but in a cool way, and it is extremely creepy and miserable the whole time. So so I'm just like a kid in a candy yeah. story. I love feeling bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so with the grave upheaval side, um, until about five minutes in, it's, I would say, pretty stock riffing for the style, um, and you just have to really commit to digging the guitar tone and the texture and the misery. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But again, that's like more legitimate in this case because these guys invented it. Um, Like, you know, you can sort of get by on just like doing the thing you came up with. Right, which <laughs> is inherently true. extreme and crazy. And it's it's not your fault that a bunch of other people knocked it off. Um, however, you know, so you're allowed that. Um, and then about five minutes in, um, the drama starts to crank up. And, um, you know, I'd say Grave Upheaval have some pretty sick mosh calls. 
Evil rules. <laughs> yeah, so th- that's the part where you shake your segments around and waggle your spiked proboscis. Mm. That, that's um, that's awesome. I, I I love. I mean, one of the things that I always loved about Grave Upheaval is how structurally it it just never conforms to any sort of like logical convention, and it always seems like way darker as a result. That's that's the thing that makes this band is that like. Yeah, I, I think one of the problems with this style, right, was that it became a, a guitar tone that cool guys would apply, and it would be like the HM2 death metal shit. It's just like, you're not interested in writing songs or being fucked up and evil. You're interested in, like, you know, like getting with chicks with a lot of tattoos. Yeah, um, it's, and, it's, and, as, it's as though those bands forgot that the first Grave Upheaval record has zero decipherable riffs on it. Yeah. This is extremely committed to being fucked up. And this was a sequence of very decipher decipherable, very cool riffs. Mm-hmm. That last like triplet blast thing, it was a slow, drawn out riff with really strange staggered rhythm, uh crushing intervals, um and the just multiple times, right? At the beginning we get the sort of the Sumerian mosh call. Like <laughs> um uh, and then the, uh, 
like you know the, the chug riff is sick um and we get that that part at the begin in the middle where we're both like oh yeah this is awesome right <laughs> the, the death the, the the growls come center stage and uh he just does this really sick timing and then you just get into, Ooh. yeah um, well i think what you're getting at is like it's truly like a, a they are like they feel it they they are passionately channeling this uh totally malevolent malevolent chthonic energy and that really separates them from a bunch of people who are just like putting on a mystic triangle metal vibe yeah Uh, and i i think the important thing here is that even though this material has like decipherable kind of riff like objects on it Mm -hmm. um the conceit of the project hasn't changed. That hasn't yeah, changed yeah, yeah. the way they structure things or anything. So now you've got this same sort of like demented, amorphous musical structure with kind of a guiding thread of riffing, but even the way that riffing is laid out is so kind of disquieting and weird. It, it, it doesn't yeah. interrupt Grave Upheaval's yeah. atmosphere. And then they go, yeah, where we, where we left off, they were just warming up for section which was a different riff i think and uh and you you hear this cool thing as this noise fucked guitar solo in the sample mm-hmm. they play another sample and it's like more like a or they play another solo sorry at this point i'm kind of drunk they play another <laughs> solo and it's uh it's more like it's like a real solo but it's equally fucked up it's um yeah this this is where i i think there's something also interesting going on. i think grave upheaval is really trying to reach back into sort of like australian metal history here mm. because mm. that kind of soloing and honestly the presentation of this kind of has a lot to do with sadistic execution and then well, yeah or like bestial warlust yeah and then there's the mm-hmm. disembowelment cover and that is a weird disembowelment song that was only on early demos that was not on their full length um so clearly they're they're consciously accessing a sort of like fucked up Australian metal history on this, and I think that's really yeah. Cool. yeah this is Grave Upheaval's war metal record. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so let me go to uh, let me put my sample from the Grave Upheaval side. So this is going to their other tribe. So there's the uh, the disembowelment cover in the middle. If you weren't aware that it was a disembowelment cover, you would just think it was part of the rest of it. It's been executed very well within the conceit of the record um so we're gonna go to creation's end uh and this is really cool uh i love this track because this kind of takes the the beharit demoncy framework but laser focuses everything on this riff-like object that um I think this is where I start really thinking that a lot of this is improvised, just because I can't imagine writing this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, seems, <laughs> it seems like something that just has to be felt out intuitively. Um, but listen to this section, and this is one of those moments where it's like, oh, this could launch, you know, a, a band unto itself. What you hear right here in this moment.
So yeah, I can I can definitely imagine a band that does nothing but this sort of thing. And I guess you you kind of have stuff that approaches that like uh some of the stuff we were covering last year like uh Serpent Trance. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah, yeah, that does. Yeah. yeah, some of this, like, weird, sinuous, kind of Beharit-descended stuff. But the, the intense focus on those, like, single-note trem lines kind of changes the whole vibe of it. Um, and I like the fact that it's that's sort of the central guiding voice, but really the meat of the material is what's happening around it, these bizarre sort of, like, keening vocal cries that oh, are like I thought in, those were guitars I can't uh, fucking tell like some I thought of those them? were like like really like whammy bar I thought that was like like Carrie King's ghost you know <laughs> there are layers like, yeah there's layers of like weird scronky lead stuff happening but I think some of it's vocal stuff and it's all swirling around between mm-hmm. the between the channels but, if you're but listening yeah that's headphones. important yeah, this and it really is like like going back to what I said originally. It is like the world's coolest dark ambient record for me. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. presenting this. I mean, it's like it feels like a depiction of the album cover. You know, it's yeah. The um the other thing is the timing there. The sense of like we were trying to figure out if it's improvised or not, and you suggested maybe the drums were tracked after. There's something strange going on. Because yeah. at moments there's uncanny coordination between the drums and guitar, but the guitar is moving in a way that seems very hard for a drummer to predict. Mm-hmm. Now, these guys have probably been playing together, or we, we know they've been playing together for a very long time. So I, I guess if you're really used to playing together and you have an idea of what your band does... And you you like look at each other while you're playing in a jazz musician kind of way, right? Just do you the can, big nod before you, you can, go to the yeah, you, yeah. yeah, it's slow enough that you can do the big nod. So I could see it being improvised, but you also thought perhaps the guitarist improvises it and then the drummer fills in after. Uh, there's a lot of different possibilities. I mean, yeah. this stuff is so sort of amorphous. There, there's any number of ways to approach it. There are places where the guitarist will change. I think it is improvised live. Because there are places where the guitarist will change notes in a really abrupt way and there's no drum to mark it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't, like, and normally a drum would mark it, but you just couldn't expect it. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, subtle, uh, and, there's like subtle and, variations to the riffs. that It's not exactly the same intervals every time it yeah. loops. Um, yeah. There's also the other thing would be like a strange symbol accents that like yeah. are coming in the middle of trem coming in the middle of trems. I don't think that's the drummer messing up. I just think that's the kind of spontaneous weird shit you think of doing more when you're jamming. And that might be one reason these guys are so good at channeling that kind of amorphous Shagathian energy. Yeah. I, I, I love the, the, the erratic sort of like nonsensical, aspects of this music because that's yes. always that's always kind of like that's that makes yeah. for like scarier music when it's yeah. just it's yeah. not operating on regular logic the sort of like cute fuzzy lovecraft thing or just like lovecraft chic like haha it's sort of like tentacle abyss music it's like is it this is tentacle abyss music yeah, and I guess one last thing I want to say is I like that they're making music that is very ambient and very hypnotic, purely out of death metal. Like this mm-hmm, isn't mm-hmm. 
this is not black metal inflected in any meaningful way. You get here directly from um, true weirdness in early death metal. Uh, And I think just that idea alone, the idea of making this sort of like awful, torturous ritual music out of death metal stuff is just a great idea that should be explored more. Yeah, it's like the sort of the most death metal parts of Demoncy, as you you like to say. Or, I mm-hmm. mean, as far as black metal bands we've reviewed, the only one it's really like is Cake, which is super Demoncy based and uh, very death metal in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think this is. I think there's a lot of people right now that are tapping into. Well, you know, we always talk about the idea of like death metal sort of like reclaiming territory. Mm-hmm, um, that mm-hmm. was sort of like forcibly <laughs> occupied by black metal, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the death metal revanchist movement. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we yeah. don't know what you're talking about. We don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. That, that always belonged to black metal. <laughs> exactly. But no, I Look, think it's, we, we can show you six international treaties. Well, yeah, I just, I think it's really neat that especially this year, I mean, we'll definitely talk about it a lot on the end of year show, but, um, we are seeing death metal, get back to a lot of really cool ideas that were just part and parcel of the style back in the early 90s, but it drifted away from. And seeing death metal sort of reclaim those territories with new musical technology, is a, it's just a really cool thing to see, and I think it has huge potential for the future. All right. So, so now let's talk about... The funeral orchestra. Uh, this side makes you feel really bad, too, but in kind of a different way. <laughs> well, before we go there, we should real quick talk about the album art, which is... It could be generic, but it's not. Yeah, it's, it appears to be... It's just a sort of an oil painting of a sort of ruinous, uh, semi-organic... Yeah, but it's weird hell. <laughs> it's, 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 it's hell, but nobody's there except you. Which is a much scarier yes. hell. <laughs> yes, it's the opposite. It's the opposite of existentialist hell. Um, well, yeah, and that the, seems to be there. Seems to be like a conceptual thing underlying this whole record, which is mm-hmm. sort of like, like the titles, you know, Abyssalis, Creations End, and then on the funeral orchestra side, emptiness exists and death yeah. persists. So it is yeah. just. It's insanely, like, supernaturally yeah. nihilistic. <laughs> a, a, a lot of the coloring is like that, pol- a little bit like the Polish guy who does all those popular records. And uh, they Beksinski, have, like, yeah. Yeah, I hate... No, not Oh, Beksinski. no, the, the guy like, who knocked off Beksinski. No, yeah. Beksinski's great, but the guy who always does those kind of, like, like sort of fiery... Those sort of, like, blurry, fiery sunset tones and then the, like, terribly proportioned gigantic figure... Yeah, and the tiny yeah. people. Yeah. I hate those. I hate those. Um, so the color palette is a little bit like that, um, in that they're presumably both referencing Turner, who's a great painter, and things like that. But um, mm-hmm. this is sort of like that, but it's like what it should be. This is far. This is like the real deal, um, and it doesn't have any of the corny qualities, um, and none of the sort of like washed out impressionist aspect of it. This is a very. These are very strong. Um, Full, strong, intense colors, uh, and it's just a very... Uh, you can tell that he painted it for both the front and back of an LP um, to, like, wrap around, right? This is not, like, a regular square size, um, and 
there's three it's intensely dimensional on on the left there it just like the perspective zooms back to this tiny gate at the end, which has what looks like a um, a pupil in the middle of it. Yeah, I was just looking him up. Uh, this is um, the artist is, uh, I guess his, his you know his pen name is uh, Belial Necro. Uh, he's a Portuguese guy who's in a, a bunch of bands. He's in a Concilium. Well, That's probably the best known one. Oh, yeah, well, I liked a lot of stuff. I mean, I guess we, we didn't totally agree about the Concilium record, but I think the highlights of that one rip. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is an awesome right? This is an awesome cover. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very neat. Um, so, so the Funeral Orchestra. Uh, so for those who weren't around for the first time we reviewed them or just aren't familiar, uh, the Funeral Orchestra are actually a very long-running extreme doom band. Uh, first record came out in 2003. And really, they've always been defined by minimal and hypnotic, but like very deeply malicious and kind of putrid sounding stuff. <laughs> like, you know, we're talking like 10 minute songs with two riffs, but those riffs really fucking hate you. Mm-hmm. Um, like the funeral orchestra is more concentrated on like malice than it is sorrow. Uh, and... Here, their style gets pared back even further, made made sort of quieter and more minimal, but no less ugly and evil. Um, it's really cool. <laughs> like, it's it is uh, them in full abruptum mode, basically, and I love it. Oh, I gotta say, Nicholas, you've you've got me. You've gone too far. It's, um, <laughs> you know, I respect the hell out of this band. I respect what he's doing. I respect how extreme it is. Um, but this is, I think, for the to to listen to this for the entire length, it is basically unlistenable for me. So he succeeded in making a record that is just for your tier of listener, which is you know awesome. I I, I respect it. I just it's it's like I I have to like tap out here. <laughs> it's um. However, there are a bunch of cool parts. I found the first track a lot more engaging than the second. By the time we got to the second, I was like, oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, man, I um, love it. I was just enraptured the whole time listening to this record. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. Make, it, make it worse. Make it more <laughs> evil. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I get it, dude. Um, but, but, you know, you also smoke weed and I don't, really. Anymore, so. Oh yeah, you know that's what you got. Well, more the edibles, you know. Well, you got you pop an edible, wait forty five minutes, and then you put this on. And you're like, oh fuck, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this feels like the first time I ate too many edibles. But, um... but yeah, so no, uh, so we've been kind of talking about the torture doom idea, uh, and here I think this really confirms that TFO um, actively listened to those bands. Uh, because really what strikes me about TFO's side is uh, this really resembles bands like Moss a lot. Those mm-hmm. very extreme sort of Torture Doom adjacent bands that had sort of a, a weird streak of sludge in them. Uh, there's there's a handful of bands from back then that's kind of like, it's like a little bit like Moss, a little bit like something like Paganus. Um there's something Moss played with feedback a lot, right? In a kind of I hate Godish way. Yeah, there's a there's a creaking and grumbling quality to this mm-hmm. that I find very cool. Uh, just just hermetic muttering and 
I don't know. It's it, there's something just so fucking cool about. It. Should I just play something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go. We we talked enough. Right. Okay, so I'll go to the second track. I actually prefer the second track on the funeral orchestra side. Uh, Death persists. Um, this makes me feel horrible. Um, and there's a really cool uh, set of wailing leads in this that are much more like industrial sound objects than they are like regular music. And uh, this is close to the end of the record, and yeah, you'll just feel terrible. know a record is good when it just makes me cackle with glee at how fucking evil it is uh i so that the whole section is just so fucking cool and there's so much like tonal richness to the timbres that tfo uses like you've got this very sort of compressed crunchy bass tone that nonetheless has just 
so much color and so much body behind it. Like it, it is heavy in a much more natural way than a lot of sort of like artificially like force base EQ'd stuff that mm-hmm. you hear. Uh, I love that. I love that. That it's a more hollow sound. Yeah, yeah. There's something like really empty and minimal and awful about it. And I love how unadorned it is. I love how the vocals, other bands, oh, it's not fuzzy. It, it's not obscured with fuzz or reverb. It's just low and powerful, but hollow. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, you can even hear that in the vocal. Like, other people, their impulse would be to, like, effects treat the vocals a lot on mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. like this. Like, the instinct would be like, let's, yeah, let's fill up more of the space. No. Something about just that that horrible, dry, retching vocal performance with, like, nothing on it mm-hmm. makes it so much more stark and horrible. Yeah. Well, on the first re- on the first review, we talked about how uh, the underlines if the underlying sensibility for grave upheaval is very death metal, funeral orchestra's non doom thing is definitely black metal. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and there, it was clearer. It's clearer on their other stuff. Here they're exaggerating the torture doom elements a bit, but those are black metal vocals. They're like, I mean, they're stripped down, whispery, but like. The idea that like putting effects on it makes you a pussy thing is very black metal, and just the, the go- yeah, just the, the the choking goblin vibe is is super black metal. Yeah, um, there's a, I appreciate that. There's this wonderful quality of like just like horrible isolation. You feel very small when you oh, listen to this. There was some really depressing lyric. Oh, I think on the next track. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's on yours. Well, yeah, let's go for let's go for it. Man. I, I appreciate it more. I mean, it probably has something to do with like so. You know, yeah, I'm just very tired today, so I didn't. This stuff that's out of my wheelhouse a bit. I have to really focus to enjoy when I'm listening to it normally, and listening to it again, right? For just like while we're on the show, I can focus more. Normally, I like put it on on speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, with headphones, it really fills out, and you can just enjoy the tone more. I think also if you have like really good speakers or don't live in an apartment complex, you just play it very loudly in the yeah, dark. Yeah, if you play it very loud in the dark, I think uh, that's the vibe. I will say um, being like drunk and tired and alone is immediately a huge asset to stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely, because you just kind of sway with it. Um, also, we were like listening to the leads, and there's one part where it just goes, you know, some, and then it just goes. It just like, kind of oh, dive God. bombs down in this dive bombs way. down and fades out. It's so bleak. <laughs> um, yeah. It's also mad that somebody who's like in, I mean, well middle aged is making this music. We talked about that on the last one, right? This guy was there for the beginning of black, you know, the beginning of black metal and, and death metal. Um, and, and he's still going extreme this doom. extreme. Yeah. yeah, and in in 2003, right, when he had already been doing his thing for a long time, he was just like, I'm going to make, right when all the torture doom and drone shit was coming out, he's like, I'm going to make some really extreme doom. Like, there was no sense that he was behind the times. And to this day, right, this is still light years more extreme and abstract and bizarre than most things younger people are doing. Um, yeah, and it's and, like it's kind of amazing just and to it's imagine. The kind of like discomforting music that's easier for. I feel like it's easier. 
when a younger person says intimates the closeness of death and suggests that death is absolute nothingness that comes easily to a 16 year old yeah it's right? a little bit different when you're, when like, you're approaching it you know <laughs> that's fucking hard yeah right? it's, it's that a, is that that's that, that's very tough yeah, this is this is a fucking excruciating record. <laughs> yeah. So let's listen to my side. This is a little bit less excruciating, um, but it's um, but it's still bleak. Uh, this is this is great. You know, so we've talked. You know, funeral orchestra has this more capital G gothic app. You know, atmosphere mostly in a black metal sense, but sometimes in a straight up goth way. Um. Which kind of makes sense. There are certain miserable extremes of 80s goth that go well with this, uh, with this aesthetic and that naturally contribute to it. Um, and so, you know, of course I like this part. This is what passes for up-tempo here. is fucking spooky (laughs) that's just yeah fuck man that's just that's so fucking grim for some it how is it like so kind of jaunty and so 
awful and bleak at the same time. Yeah, one of the halfway through the lyric was something like at towards the end of the phrase was like distortion of the soul. <laughs> no one can resist. <laughs> Which is like he might have said destruction, but like distortion of the soul is even scarier if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Like like if you're happy about who you are, if you basically like being yourself, right? The idea of just being warped into someone or something else, that's pretty fucking scary. Well, I think that's a, that that seems to be kind of the theme of this whole record is like it, it's not it's not just about death, it's about like erasure, you know. It's, yeah, so of the soul. Yes, that is also. Yes, like emptiness exists and what is the other one? Uh, the uh, other track, yours is Death Persists, Emptiness Exists. Uh, <laughs> creations and, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's probably Destruction of the Soul about absolute non-existence. But yeah, Distortion of the Soul is also a kind of absolute non-existence and maybe a more perverse one. I want to kill myself again, but now in the cool way. <laughs> ¶¶ 